Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're in the second letter to the church of Corinth. Now, we have to make this distinction between the two letters uh, and the, the where the church was at. Remember, this is the remnant now. This is the remnant of believers because the, the leaven has been taken care of. And now that the leaven has been taken care of in this three-year gap between the first letter and the second letter, a period of growth, now what Paul is doing is he's discussing the topic and of financial giving. And we have that in, in chapter 8 too, chapter 8 and chapter 9 on the topic of financial giving, financial support, ministry, ministering to the saints. And it's so beautiful when we see this, but understand it's for the remnant. Understand that it's for the remnant. These are things that were not mentioned in 1 Corinthians. And so we see here in verse 1, now concerning the ministering to the saints. Now, if we pause here for a moment, now concerning the ministering, it's diakonia in the Greek, which is to provide a service and aid. But this word is not used in 1 Corinthians for the church. Remember, we make the distinction between worker and field. And this word is used in 1 Corinthians for the worker, the uh, 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 diakonia, which is ministering. That word is used for the worker. But this now what we see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, we see it being used for the church. Very interesting what we see here. We see it being used for the church. And it's so important to understand because what the church is doing now is that they're able to partake in this ministry of giving. Now understand, it's the remnant. The leaven has been taken care of. And you see, the church is maturing. They're laying aside those things which so easily ensnare them. They're moving on to perfection. And in light of that, we understand too that the Corinthian church they're getting their salt back. You see? Remember, Jesus Christ is the one who says that you know you are the salt of the earth. But when salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing than to be trampled underfoot by men. And that's when we see, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, yes, they're babies. And yes, they're the salt of the earth. But what happens when salt loses, starts to lose its flavor as a result of carnality? Remember, being a baby is very dangerous. Being a baby is very dangerous because a child doesn't know those things in terms of uh, making this the distinction and the choice to walk according to the flesh and walk according to the spirit. It's, it's difficult for a baby to make those distinctions, and naturally so. You don't expect a baby to do calculus. We would be the fools. You see, you don't expect the baby to do complex uh, uh, math equations, statistics. No, we would be the fools. But no, understand that this state of babyhood, which is beautiful for babies, but it's terrible it, 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 for people who've been Christians for five years, 10 years, 20 years, and they're still on milk. It's very dangerous. It's not good. It's not good. And that's what we see in the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians. That's exactly what you see in the church in Corinth. People, remember, the distance from Acts 18 to 1 Corinthians, the, the letter is a three, another three-year gap. And so in the course of three years, there was arrested development, no growth, no growth. 
And so what happens as a result of that? You have all these works of the flesh in the church of Corinth, and then it comes time for people to make separations. Okay, you know, for the guy who's having sex with his dad's wife, commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. The drunkards, the revilers, the extortioners, the sexually immoral, separate from such people. And it's it's sad. It's sad because you see this separation, but then at the same time, you start to see what happens to the remnant. Very, very beautiful. Because order needs to be established in the church. Order needs to be established in the homes, in the marriages, in the families, in the church. And then all of a sudden, you know, teaching on the, the gifts of the Spirit. Remember our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14? Now, I have to say this. I reference uh, uh, passages, prior studies, and I always say that, you know, listen to our study from here and there. I say that quite a bit. Now, if you're listening on a platform that doesn't have those available, go to the church website and let us know and say, just, hey, you know, you know I, don't, I don't have this available and we'll get it to you. We'll get those messages to you because it's very important for all of us to have this understanding and making this, this, the distinction between leaven and the remnant. Very, very important because it will help you in your, your own growth in, in Christ as we mature together. And you see the church in Corinth, they're getting their salt back. You see, flavorless salt should never, ever, ever be in ministry. Flavorless salt should never be in ministry. And what do you see today? Not in all cases, but it's growing in quite a bit of cases. You see flavorless salt in ministry. You see children in ministry. And I'm speaking like, you know, in terms of faith, you know, children, baby Christians. And baby Christians are so incredibly beautiful. But then at the same time, there's a time period by which a soul has to grow in Christ. A saint needs to grow and mature in Christ. Understand that the formula, the formula as Christians is in and through, in, then through. That's that's the order of operations. We are the ones who allow the, work, the Lord to do the work inside of us. And then once that happens, then the Lord can do works through us. The Lord can do things through us as he works with his vessels. That's the model, in, then, through. In 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 1st Corinthians chapter 6 turn there really quick 1st Corinthians chapter 6 verse 5 you know this is what Paul, it's, it's kind of hardcore what Paul says here to the church he says I say this to your shame is it so that is there that there is not a wise man among you not even one you see that's kind of a hardcore statement. That's kind of, you know, for the church in Corinth, Corinth, is it, is it in fact that there is not even one single wise man among you? Not even one? He says, I say this to your shame. You see, the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians, because of their state of babiness, because of that state, what happens is that this separation has to happen. This separation has to be because of the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh were rampant as opposed to the works of the Spirit. Now, in Corinth, there were 
uh, home fellowships, other Christians that made the distinction and they didn't partake in the things such as Chloe's household. You know, how many times do you hear us make mention of Chloe's household? Beautiful, beautiful Chloe. I can't wait to meet her. And so we see what happens on the majority. It's okay. Like chapter 5, verse 11. And I always say this. I always say this. And I'm never going to stop. You might be tired of me saying this, but I'm never going to stop saying this. In chapter 5, verse 11 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Not to keep company with anyone named a brother. Christians. Christians. Who is sexually immoral, covetous, an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. In that same chapter, verse 13, he says, put away from yourselves the evil person. That's hardcore. That's hardcore. Understand this is three years of arrested development. Now, it could very well be that for three years, other Christians, other brothers, other sisters were telling a person, hey, don't do that sexual stuff. Hey, don't be that covetous type of person. Don't do the idolatry. Don't be a reviler. Don't be a drunkard. Don't be an extortioner. It could be that for three years, that was the uh, admonition that brothers and sisters were saying to these people who were involved in these things. And it could very well be that the defunct pastors, the defunct elders said nothing. Because in the pastoral epistles, Paul makes specific mentions unto the uh, uh, specific mention unto the pastors that warning is to be given when there are you know to, to other brothers or other sisters warning 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 and then after in certain cir- circumstances it's just warning number one warning number two maybe warning number three but beyond that it's like okay you know it, it's not a good fit you know then pastors have to make a decision a distinction in fulfillment of their pastoral responsibility unto the church, yes, but ultimately unto the Lord, in service unto Him. You see, now you start to see the danger of the defunctness, and you hear us mention this all the time. I mean, do you remember our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 6? These were hardcore chapters, very painful to study through, very, very painful, because This is what was happening inside the church, leaven inside the church. You see, and Paul doesn't make mention of money in 1 Corinthians. He doesn't make mention of money in 1 Corinthians. Where you see him do that is in 2 Corinthians. And not the early chapters, a little deeper into 2 Corinthians, such as we're at here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and today in chapter 9. And he he brings up the topic of Money, money. Understand that the formula, the Lord does the work in us, in us first, and then through us. It's not the other way around. It's not the other way around. A lot of times people, they want, you know, they become brand new believers, praise be to the Lord. And then all of a sudden they want the, 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 to join a ministry. They're like, oh Lord, I want to do this. And Lord, I want to do this. And I want to do this. And you know, it's, it's beautiful when you see that exuberance in a new believer, but don't do it. Don't do it. If you're a new believer, don't do it because it's dangerous. There, it's like telling a five, a five-year-old, oh, I want to go to war. I want to go to war. I want to go to war. It's like, okay, that's, you know, noble, noble. I mean, I don't know where you are, and depending on you know what you know what what what's going on militarily, you know, I teach from America, and you know, 
I'm, I'm not advocating war or anything like that, but you know, you know, you see the kids, oh, I want to go to war, I want to go to war. It's like, okay, hold on, you know, war is going to come to you, son. War is going to come to you, baby girl, and you're not ready for it yet. You're not ready to engage in this fight, but you can be later on. It would be dangerous to send a five-year-old into combat. You see, it would be very, very dangerous. We would be the fools for doing such. You see, the adults would be the fools for doing that. But yet, people are following the formula wrong. Pastors are teaching the formula wrong. You remember when Paul gave the Macedonian example in chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8? He gave the Macedonian example to say, Hey, you Corinthians, you learn like the Macedonians. Let them be a pattern for you to follow the Macedonian saints. And this is very interesting in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. Remember, they first gave themselves to the Lord. You see, they first gave themselves to the Lord. The Lord did the work and is doing the work inside of the Macedonians. And I say is, you know, if you're listening for the first time, I kind of place ourselves in, 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 in these passages. So I say, you know, is like, you know, this is was because it's past tense in Macedonia. But then I say is because we're right here in, 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 in second Corinthians referencing chapter eight. So a lot of times I do that. I, you know, we're like actually boom. We are actually inside. We are here. And so. The Lord is has done and is doing the work in the Macedonians, but they first gave themselves to him. You see, they first give themselves to him. And the Lord does the work inside of them. And now the Lord is doing the work through them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, remember they were begging Paul when Paul says in verse 4, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift. You know, Paul, take it, take it, take it, take it. And they were poor. They were poor. And Paul's, you know, I can just see Paul like, no, you guys need to buy your groceries, you need your food, you need your rent, you need your utilities. Keep the money, keep the money. And they were begging Paul. That's how it translates. They were begging us with much urgency. No, Paul, take it, take it. Do you see the faith, how Brother James, and you heard us reference Brother James, when Brother James teaches us that the, the, the poor are rich in faith. So you have the poor saints in Macedonia sacrificially giving unto the Lord and having the faith. Look, yes, Brother Paul, we know that we know that, you know, we need this money for food. We know that we need rent. We know that we need utilities paid. We need water, uh, gas, electric, all these things. We know that, Paul. But the Lord is the Lord is faithful. He'll take care of us. He'll take care of us, Paul. It's not that Paul doesn't understand these things, but it's so beautiful. I can just see like tears streaming down Paul's cheeks. Wow, you guys are so beautiful. You beautiful, beautiful Macedonian saints, you're so beautiful. And to rejoice in the Lord and be thankful unto the Lord. Wow, Lord, you're so good because look what you've done to the Macedonians. And now they're an example to the Corinthian church. And yes, the Corinthian church had some issues, but not anymore, Lord. You're so good. Do you see what's happening here? And we're on the topic of money, money. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, the topic of money. Now, I have to say this. If you're a baby, 
You have to be honest with yourself. If you're a baby Christian, an immature Christian, I don't want your money. I don't want your money. A lot of times, you know, people say, oh, here he goes. He's talking about money. But no, when I teach about money, it's from the scriptures. We just happen to be there in, you know, where we are in the passage. So, you know, I, I don't, you know, it's not like a regular thing. Like, okay, everybody tithe. Everybody do your offering. Everybody give your 10%, 20%, 30%, 40%. I don't do that. I teach from scripture. And it just so happens that we're on the topic of money. But I have to emphasize this. I don't want your money. I don't want your money. If you're a baby, if you're a young believer, don't give. Don't give. Now, that's radical. You won't hear a lot of people say don't give. But understand in this biblical formula, what you it's like, oh, I'm not supposed to give to the Lord. Yes, you're supposed to give to the Lord, but let it first be your heart. Let it first be your heart because the Lord must do the work inside of you first. I say the Lord must do that, but you must allow him to do that. Remember, he stands at the door and he's not going to kick the door in and like barge in and be like, you will be my subject. You know, I am your God. You are my subject. No, I'm not a Calvinist. No, you have to allow him into your heart. You have to allow him into your heart and receive him and yield to him, yield to his word, yield to the spirit. And the Lord does the work inside. You must first commit your life to him. It's not to say don't give, don't give, don't give. What I'm saying is don't give financially. Give your heart to the Lord. Give your mind to the Lord. Give your body to the Lord. Remember the church in Rome? You know, Paul, what do we do? What do we do? We want to serve the Lord. We want to serve the Lord. What does Paul say? Okay. Okay. Praise be to the Lord. But he says, surrender your body a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. Wow, you have a, a, a Christians telling Pastor Paul, Paul, we want to serve the Lord. We want to serve the Lord. And it, yes, it is beautiful. Their desire to serve the Lord. But what does Paul say? He says, okay, but first give your life to the Lord. Your body as a living sacrifice. And that's your reasonable service. How backwards is that compared to what you hear today in the churches? Imagine a group of Christians. We want to serve the Lord. We want to serve the Lord. And the pastor say, okay, you know, Tithe, give 20%. Okay, no, do this, do that, do this, do this. What pastor would say, give your life to Christ. Present your body as a living sacrifice. You see? Because the Lord must do the work inside of you first. And that's something that happened in Corinth, where the Lord cleaned house through the vessel Paul, And through the vessel, Chloe, because these are things that the carnal church could not accept. These things couldn't. Paul didn't say to the baby Christians, the first Corinthians three Christians, Paul didn't teach about money. He wasn't teaching about sacrificial giving in first Corinthians three. No, he's doing it in second Corinthians chapter eight. We're already six years deep from the birth of the church. Three years in, they were babies still. And then so, okay, we got to, you know, separate the leaven from the bunch and the leaven is gone. The leaven has been dealt with. And then all of a sudden you have this remnant three years, another three years. So we're already six years deep from the birth of the church and six years deep. Now Paul is teaching about money. Now Paul is teaching about giving. You see? 
It's very important to understand these things because what we see here, you know, like the, uh, the, 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 the subject of giving, now you see the church in verse 1, now concerning the ministering to the saints, this word diakonia, it is now used for the church to partake in this ministry. You see, not the immature Christian partaking in a ministry. What do you see today? You see immature Christians partaking in ministries, which that ought not to happen because of the danger involved, the danger for them, the shame that can be brought to the name of the Lord. You see, like, oh, yeah, you like baby Christians involved in certain ministries. Well, when that baby Christian doesn't know how to discern between walking according to the flesh and walking according to the spirit and with defunct pastors if a child walks according to the flesh the defunct pastor isn't going to correct them the defunct elder isn't going to correct them and so here they go on in their ministry and then all of a sudden you start to see the works of the flesh you see people in ministry and they're doing the drugs they're doing the sex they're doing the alcohol they're doing the gambling they're doing the extortion they're doing their revilers they're uh, drunkards they're you know all kinds of different people but it's works of the flesh all kinds of different works of the flesh you see a soul must first be given to the lord must first be given to the lord so a baby can begin to grow and mature and make these distinctions. Okay, I used to walk according to the flesh, but now I walk according to the spirit. And from time to time, I still make these decisions according to the flesh, but I repent of those things. And now I walk, I learn to walk according to the spirit. And so you have a baby Christian who's now maturing in Christ. And now that maturity happens in the Corinthian example, we're six years deep. We're six years deep in the Corinthian example. And now Paul is teaching them about money. You see? Paul is teaching about money we're six years in. Now, I say we're six years in, but that was in Corinth. The Macedonians, you know, it, 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 they were different. They, were, they didn't have the defunct pastors or the defunct elders. The Philippians, they didn't have the defunct pastors, the defunct elders. You see, there's a heavy price to pay for being defunct. Pastors. Elders, if you're a pastor, elder listening, there's a heavy price to pay for being defunct for you and those who hear you. Look at what it's cost Corinth. You see, look at the separation. You know, praise the Lord that there was the separation, but it's still sad because it's like, wow, you know, there a guy, if he was corrected early on, he wouldn't have to be committed to Satan. You see, there wouldn't have to be this separation. You know, that's it's kind of wishful thinking because it did happen. And, and praise the Lord that the separation did happen, but it's still sad. You see? And so we see here in verse 1, now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. I love this so much because it highlights the growth and maturity of Corinth. They're babies no more. They're defunct no more. Learning from the Macedonian example, remember we make that distinction. We correlate our study through numbers uh, 31 and Numbers 32, the 12,001 influence on the 600,000, the influence of the minority on the majority, the influence on the remnant onto the whole. We, we, we studied that in Numbers 31 and 32, and we see that exact same thing in the 
influence that the Macedonian church can have on the Corinthian church. And now as that is applied in the lives of the saints, now we see the maturity of the saints of Corinth because Paul says, it is superfluous for me to write to you. And I love that because superfluous, it's beyond what's necessary. It's beyond what's necessary. Now, say for example, if you were like a superstar athlete and you're like a super sprinter and we're sending you to Tokyo for the Olympics, you know, we're sending you to Tokyo for the Olympics. You are a super sprinter and your, your time is such that you could possibly break the world record. You're not, you're not competing for, you know, bronze. You're not competing for silver. You're going for the gold because it's very possible that you can break a world record. And so, you know, you're going to gun it. And so we send you out and like right before your race, I, I, I tell you, oh, don't forget to stretch. You see, I mean, it's, it's not that I don't want you to not stretch, but it's like, okay, it's kind of a gimme. Like, you know, you got to stretch, you know, you know, you got to do what you got to do because you're, it's not like I'm, I'm talking to like, you know, uh, 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 just somebody who's just a mere runner. No, I'm talking to like the high class, like like the number one in the world, you see? And it's like, it's superfluous for me to say that, you know, don't forget to stretch. It's superfluous for me to say that because it's beyond what's necessary because proof is in the pudding. You're the, the high class sprinter. When I say high class, I mean like, you know, contender for gold. You see, you're not competing for bronze. You're competing for gold. You see? It would be superfluous for me to say, hey, uh, don't forget to stretch because that's that's a gimme. It's a gimme. And that's what I love so much about the Corinthian church. When Paul says, it is superfluous for me to even say this to you. You see, about giving. He doesn't say that in 1 Corinthians. He doesn't say that in 1 Corinthians, just the opposite. He says, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 5, he's, I say this to your shame. I say this to your shame. Is it so that it's not, there is not a wise man among you? Not even one, just one wise guy. You got a lot of wise guys. You got a lot of wise guys, but not one wise guy. You see? It's, it's not one Corinth. That's 1 Corinthians. But now in 2 Corinthians, Paul, three years after 1 Corinthians, it's superfluous for me to say these things to you. Saints, you see how beautiful this is? The church is mature. Yes, it's the church, both letters, it's the church of Corinth, but it's a different church. You see, it's a different church. They've matured. They're moving on to perfection. And Paul says this. He said, and remember too that, you know, they have the, uh, uh, the saints who have, applied Paul's teachings to their lives. You see, saints who have, because remember in chapter eight, chapter eight, second Corinthians chapter eight, verse five, speaking about the Macedonian example, they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us. You see, the teachers, the teachers, the holy bubble of Paul. Now you hear me reference and you know the holy bubble. When I say that, you might be listening for the first time. You're like, what is this guy talking about? Bubble? No, the holy bubble is like Paul's entourage. You might be even saying again, entourage? What in the world is this guy talking about? Well, entourage, the people that were with Paul, 
the next generation of ministry leaders, the next generation of pastors such as Titus and Timothy. And, you know, you see these beautiful people, both male and female, that were in Paul's holy bubble and they were uh, uh, future ministry leaders. Now, pastoral and uh, uh, elder ministry, always male. Always male, 100%. Always male, never female. There's male headship. Okay, Old Testament, New Testament, what do we see? Male headship, male covering. You see? The Macedonian example. They had teachers. And he says they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Now, who you who you lend ear to in terms of who you allow to teach you, you must be a Berean in these last days. You must be a Berean in these last days because there's a lot of so-called pastors, hirelings that are teaching a lot of false doctrine. You see, understand that, you know, the prophecies, the signs of the times, there are false teachers, false prophets presenting another Jesus. Who is the one who's presenting the Jesus of the Bible? You see, and the word became flesh. You have people who are saying you're teaching grave soaking, big, huge churches, global churches, well-known churches, Protestant churches, teaching grave soaking. Oh, we're going to go lay on the grave and the, the Holy Spirit from these dead people. It's going to soak up into us. Stupid. An abomination before the Lord. Oh, it's okay to take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Stupid foolishness. You see, you have to be a Berean. You have to be a Berean. And, you know, when the Lord provides you a pastor, you know, these pastors, they're to help you, your soul to help you, guide you, to teach you, to pour into you. And when you find one, when the Lord provides one for you, you listen to these people because they watch out for your soul. That's what we learn in Hebrews. Turn with me really quick to Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your soul as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would not be profitable for you. That would be unprofitable for you. You see, when you find a pastor and you're a Berean, when you're a Berean and the Lord uh, brings a pastor into your life, they watch out for your souls. You see, but you have to be a Berean. Because nowadays, among with all the hirelings and the, a plethora of false teachers, you know, they'll tell babies, okay, tithe, you know, okay, give this offering, you know, that it's always the money preachers. But when you're a Berean, you'll know, okay, this guy's crazy town. A person will teach about crazy town. People will say, oh, yeah, amen, amen. But you'll know because you're a Berean, you'll know this guy's crazy town. The Bible says, you know, I followed with the Corinthian example and this isn't for babies. This isn't for babies. This is for mature because the, the Lord must first do the work inside of a soul. You see, now you have this understanding. And I love this so much. In this Macedonian example, they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of the Lord, by the will of God. And you see, Corinth, they've done the same thing because they get a letter from Paul. First Corinthians, they get a letter from Paul. Take this guy Commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. You know, 
anybody named a brother, another Christian who's a drunkard, sexually immoral, all these things, the works of the flesh, separate from them. And then he says, there's not one wise guy among you. There's not one wise man among you. Now, the church in Corinth, they could have been like the modern day church. Oh, Paul's so mean. He's so mean-spirited. How dare he say that? We're saints. We're supposed to love. We're called to love. You see? And they could have rejected Paul. Paul, no, we don't want to hear this mess. Gone with you, Paul. They could have said that. Especially under the leadership of defunct pastors, defunct elders. But the saints, they knew, no, Paul watches out for our soul. Paul watches out for our soul. And so we're going to do exactly what he teaches. Because it's not just a guy saying it. We've seen him. We've seen his hand. We've seen his bruises. We've seen the cuts on his face. We've seen his, his, his black eye. We've seen the bruises on his face. And we've seen the, the steps of his feet, the work of his hands, the toil. We've seen it. And we know that Paul watches out for our soul. And now look where we're at. Look at Corinth. Look at how much they've grown. Like a proud parent. A proud parent. Look at my baby girl. Look how much she's grown. Look at my son. Look how much he's grown. You know, it's so beautiful when a child brings joy to a parent. When a child brings joy to a parent. And a lot of times you see children bringing pain to parents. Children bring bringing shame to parents. The same way you see Christians bringing shame to the name of the Lord. You see? And so Paul, the Lord cleans house using vessel Paul. And now you have the Corinthian saints. You know, there's not one wise guy among you. Now it's different. Now you have more wise people starting to sprout up, starting to grow, starting to mature. You see? And now, in light of this maturity, now they can be partakers of this diaconia, ministry, ministry. He says in verse 2, Second <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 9, verse 2, For I know your willingness, I know your willingness, which is cheerful readiness. Paul says, I know that about you. I know your, your willingness about which I boast to you to the Macedonians. So now you see in chapter 8, the Macedonian example. And so we see here that, that uh, about which I boast to you up to the Macedonians that Achaia was ready a year ago and your zeal has stirred up the majority. And now Achaia, Corinth is a region of Achaia. It says that Achaia was ready a year ago and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Do you see what we see now? Can you see this? The Corinthian church, the saints, they have now become an example. Just like the Macedonians were an example to the Corinthians, what we studied last week, now the Corinthians, they're an example for other churches. You see what's happening? They're getting their salt back. They're getting their salt back. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, nope, that's not a good example to follow. That's not a good pattern to follow. With the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the uh, reviling, the extortion. That's not a good example to follow. Uh, don't follow the Corinthian example. You see? But now, yes. Now they become influencers. You see? That, so, 
Do you remember how painful it was to study 1 Corinthians in those heavy chapters? 5, chapter 5, 6, 7, 8. And even, like if you're Pentecostal or charismatic, even, you know, further to get into chapter 12, 13, 14, the gifts of the Spirit, the working of the Spirit. Those are hardcore passages. Depending on your doctrine, hardcore. If you're on your fifth marriage and your previous four spouses, your previous wives or your previous husbands, they're not dead. You're on marriage number two, you're on marriage number three, and your previous spouse isn't dead. Those are hardcore passages to study. Depending on your situation, those are hardcore passages. If you're Pentecostal, if you're charismatic, I mean, if you're Pentecostal, okay, I'll put it like this. If you're Pentecostal, if you're hardcore charismatic, and you uh, are on, you know, you, you go to church where there's 500 people, take 200 people, and 200 people speak in tongues. If that's you and you're on your second or third marriage uh, and your previous spouses, are they're not dead um, and you have uh, uh, drunkenness, reviling, extortion, that's you. Oh my God, the entirety of 1 Corinthians. I mean, it's not just 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. Those are, those are even those, there's abrasiveness in those letters. But from chapter 5 on, those are hard. If, if, that's, if you're charismatic, you know, at Pentecostal, you have the works of the flesh. You're on marriage number two, three, four. First Corinthians is a very abrasive book. Very, very abrasive book. It's indicative of ourselves. You know, the abrasiveness of scripture, 100% is directly proportional to us. To us. I mean, have you ever been in a state of carnality? And then you read the Bible and it's like every single word is like a knife. It's like a knife in your heart. Praise be to the Lord. It's the Lord who's trying to chip away at your hardness of heart. And I tell you these things from experience. You see, because I fought the Lord 25 years ago. I fought with the Lord. And he messed me up. <laughs> he wrecked shop on me. And praise be to the Lord. I tell you these things from experience. First Corinthians is a hardcore book. Hardcore. Separation happens. Necessary to happen. The Lord cleans house. Using vessel Paul, using vessel Chloe. You see? And now look where we're at. Look, you get the beautiful saints. Now that they've applied the teachings of Paul, not like, okay, Paul, we're not going to separate from these guys. Come on, God is love. Paul, come on, that's kind of mean. Oh, Paul so mean-spirited. Paul so mean-spirited. He's lost his mind. He's so crazy. How dare he say this? How dare he? He's so judgmental. You see? But if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. That's what, that's what the Bible teaches. If we would judge ourselves, we will not be judged by God. We have to make these distinctions. Remember the derivatives of Crino? Anacrino, Diacrino. There's several other, but those are the biggies in the Bible. Crino, anacrino, and diacrino. Only one is forbidden. You see? Oh, but God is love. God is love. Yes, God is love. Yes, absolutely, God is love. But there's other attributes of the Lord. That's what's so beautiful about studying the Old Testament and New Testament. We get the full counsel of the Word of God, and we get a deeper understanding of His character, His nature, what He likes, what He doesn't like. 
and it helps us in our walk with the Lord. I mean, if you've been listening for a while, have, have you grown and matured just from our study? I mean, if we set aside the New Testament, have you grown and matured just from our studies in the Old Testament? You see, that's what the Lord does. That's how we should, because we learn more about his character, more about him. We have this deeper understanding in our love relationship with him, together with him, individually with him, corporately with him, koinonia, ecclesia. And now you have this remnant of Corinth where Paul says, it's superfluous for me to write to you about these things. It's superfluous for me to even bring this up. You see? And now they're getting their salt back. They're salty once more. Flavorless, or with flavor, not flavorless salt, what they were, now they have flavor. Remember, salt, like, you know, if I watch a soccer game on TV, I watch a soccer game, or depending where you're listening, football. I watch my football on TV. So I watch my football game on TV, and I like cashews. I love cashews. And sometimes my wife tricks me. She buys the unsalted cashews, and I hate it. <laughs> so, you know, we have our little fight. You know, our fights are so cheesy, it la they last for about two seconds. So we have a little argument for about two seconds. And then I end up laughing. She laughs. And you know, so there I am on the couch watching football, you know. And, you know, I say that for my, I teach from America, for but for my non-American uh, listeners, if, if, depending on where you're at in the, in the world, I watch my football and I get my cashews. And if my wife doesn't uh, throw in the, uh, uh, the unsalted ones, you know, I get the salted ones. You know, I get the salted ones and then sometimes I look for the salt. She, she like hides the salted ones. So she gets me like the healthy ones, you know, she's like, yeah, eat this, eat this. And I don't like those. So I'll open it, eat it. Where's the salt? So I'll put it away and then I'll go and look around for the, the salted ones. And then I find them like behind like cereal boxes and stuff. So I open up the, the salted ones and I eat those. So I have my cashews and I, but then I'm sitting, watching, eating my cashews, watching my football. And then all of a sudden it's, I start to get thirsty. I get thirsty. I need something to drink. Give me something to drink. I need something. I get up like frantically. I need, I need my, I need my soda. You know, that's probably bad. You know, so it's like, you know, but I get my soda. I get, you know, whatever water. I need my juice. Get whatever. I get the, because the salt, it, it creates that thirst. You see, now salt is a preserver. Yes. But salt indeed presents that thirst. And that's what's happening in Corinth. That's exactly what's happening in Corinth. Now look at them. He says in verse 2 at the end, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. You see? Your zeal has stirred up the majority. It's infectious, Corinth. Instead of your bad example where there was the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the, all these things, whatever, sex, drugs, rock and roll, all these works of the flesh. Now that the separation has happened, now that the leaven has been dealt with, now that we're looking at the, uh, the, the, the remnant of Corinth, look at what, look at their growth. Look at how they grow. And now they're partakers of this ministry, the diaconia. What was said of the workers in chapter 1 is now being said of the field. Now you start to see something different emerge where the field and the worker start to, a little connection is made. Do you see how these building blocks lead to ministry? 
It's so incredibly beautiful when we see this order happening. And I think the Corinthian church is a hardcore model, hardcore model for the last day's church. Because the last day's church, remember the four categories of the last day's church? The last day's church is either false. The last day's church is either false, apostate, entering apostasy, or it is true. Now, if it is false, if you're in a false church, we have a deep, you know, you know, Pastor Jennifer, you know, uh, no, leave because they're not following the, the biblical formula. Male head pastors, always male. Elders, always male. Always. Male headship. Oh, but my pastor, she teaches so great. She teaches so not that that's not the formula. That's not she might be teach one thing, she but no, that's not the formula. You see? The biblical formula. Male headship. Male pastor. So if you have Pastor Jennifer, say goodbye. Get a new pastor. Get a new pastor because you want to be under the, the biblical formula. Okay? Now, if you're un- if you if you you have to be very honest with yourself before the Lord. I speak individually, I speak corporately, you might be in a family, you know, your kids might like the, you know, Pastor Jennifer, your no men. Husbands, dads, you have a choice to make. You're pastor of your home. You might have to say bye-bye to Pastor Jennifer. And if you're in, remember the last day's church, those four categories, false, apostate, entering apostasy, or true. If you're in any one of the three, you have to make a choice. Leave those three, come out of her, my people, and go into the one that is true. You see? Oh, but I I love Pastor Jennifer. She's such a good teacher. Say goodbye. And you find yourself a true church. You see? I don't care what the title is on the door. Oh, look, this church sounds sounds nice. Look, it says Christianity. It says truth here. It says that, you know, the, the Jesus Christ here. That's nice. What is taught at the pulpit? What is taught at the pulpit? Oh, I go to this church. There's 500 people. Look, the works of the Lord. 500 people and 500 people. Look, they all have evidence of the Holy Spirit. They're all 500 people are speaking in tongues. It's not, that's not the equation. That's not the formula. Where are the pastors? Where are the pastors who will bring order into the church? Remember, at most four. Four. There needs to be two people speaking in tongues. At most three, and among those, there must also be somebody to interpret. So four max. Three can speak in tongues, and another must interpret. So at most four. You see? Oh, but there's 500 people in this church, and 500 people are speaking in tongues. That's nice. That's not the formula. They're doing it wrong. Where are their pastors? Where are their elders? Oh, that's Pastor Jennifer. There you go. It's not the formula. You see what I'm saying? You have to be hardcore because last days is no joke. Not to suggest that, you know, 10 years ago it was permissible. It wasn't permissible 10 years ago, 20 years ago. But even more so now as we get further into the events of the last days. Further into the events of the last days. There's a member of the Knesset in Israel. A member of the Knesset and the Mugrabi Gate at the Temple Mount. The Mugrabi Gate is, you know, in shambles. And he, he's already making these proposals. He's a Zionist. And he's, you know, I tend to align politically. I tend to align closer to the Zionists. 
you know, because there's Zion, Zionist according to the flesh, but my Zionism is paradise. It's a heavenly Zion. That's my Zionism. But I align to the Zionists because it's, they make these choices to honor the Lord, but then at the same time, it's under the law. I'm not advocating the law, but they make these choices to honor the Lord in accordance to the law, but understand that blindness has come to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles. And as the fullness of the Gentiles continues to grow and grow and grow and grow, that door is going to close and then boom, Israel's going to be awake. The eyes are going to open. You see? Now, that's kind of glossing over. There's a lot of prophecy that happens. The build up to that point, there's a lot that happens. But I'm just saying, one of the members of the Knesset, uh, he's a Zionist, and the Mugrabi Gate, he's making a proposal. Let's rebuild the uh, 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 the Mugrabi Gate, the, 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 the entrance into the Mugrabi Gate, because in preparation for the rebuilding of the Third Temple. These are proposals that are being made today. I mean, not today, but I mean, several days ago. These are happening. The event, we're getting deeper and deeper into the events of the last days. Deeper and deeper. And very soon, remember, 70 weeks are decreed. 70 weeks are decreed. And the Bible teaches us specifically, this is what happens. This is what, you know, This these are the blueprints. This is what's going to happen. And the last days church. The four categories of the last day's church, false, apostate, entering apostasy, or it is true. Oh, but this church, look, it has the name of Jesus Christ on the doorway. That's nice. Do they present the biblical Jesus Christ? Yeah, look, there's 500 people and 500 people speak in tongues. They're doing it wrong. But look, this two-year-old baby, this one-year-old baby is speaking in tongues. Can't even speak in English, but the baby is speaking in tongues. That's nice. They're doing it wrong. You see, you have to be hardcore. You have to be hardcore. You have to make a choice. And once order comes into the fellowship, once order comes into a church, once order comes into a heart, into a mind, into a soul, remember, the Lord must, you must submit yourself to the Lord first. Just as the Macedonian example in chapter 8, uh, verse Five, when he says they first gave themselves to the Lord, that's exactly what you must do. Give yourself to the Lord first. Once maturity comes, once this understanding comes among the remnant, now Paul is teaching about money, partaking in this ministry. And now they're getting their salt back. And now, as I said in verse 2 here of chapter 9, you're stirring up the majority. It's superfluous for me to say these things, but look how beautiful it is. You're stirring up the majority. He says this in verse 3, Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready. You see? That you may be ready. Now, it's the time to actually do. I love this so much because we're not supposed to be hearers only, but hearers of the word and doers of the word. Remember, Faith without works is dead. Hearers of the word and doers of the word. 
In verse 4, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, you see, a state of unpreparedness, not good. That we be hearers of the word and doers of the word. Faith without works is dead. People say, oh, you're teaching works-based faith. You're te- teaching works-based. No, it's not works-based. It's, it's called obedience-based. Obedience-based. Because it's the Lord who's guiding the steps. The Lord who's teaching us, giving us the blueprints. Who are, going, who, who are the ones who are going to follow the blueprints? Oh, but I'm a brand new believer and my pastor teaches me about tithing. I'm a brand new believer and he says I have to tithe 10%. You're a brand new believer? Don't tithe. You're a brand new believer? Don't give your money. You're a baby Christian? Don't give your money. Don't do it. What? How dare you say that? How dare you say that? You see? Don't give your money. Give your heart. Heart before the wallet. You see? Give your heart. Because you know what happens in the church? You know what happens in fellowships? People tithe. People tithe, tithe, tithe. The treasury of the church grows. It expands and grows. But then you know what happens among the saints? The works of the flesh. The works of the flesh. The same thing happened to Israel. Old Testament. And we're going to see these passages in the Old Testament. Remember, nothing mangy. Nothing mangy. Nothing mangy if what is... You remember our study through Leviticus? How many times do you hear us say, nothing mangy, even numbers, nothing mangy. No, offerings unto the Lord must be pure. Must be pure without blemish. But first... It's the heart. First, it's the heart. Not the other way around. It's not the first, the wallet, and then the heart. Sometimes people make these ties. It's the wallet. The first offering is from the wallet, never being the heart. Oh, yeah, I'm going to tithe. I'll write my check, 10%. I'll write my check. Meanwhile, I'll do my sex. I'll do my drug. Yeah, here, here, Lord, here's 10%. But I'll still do my sex. I'll still do, do my drugs. I'll still do my alcohol. No, it doesn't work that way. You first. You first. Your heart first. Your mind first. Your body first. Your soul deep down into the marrow. You give yourself to the Lord first. Just like the Corinthians. They were a mess. But they're a mess no more. You see? They were defunct under the leadership of the defunct. But defunct no more. Just like numbers. Just like our study numbers 31, 32. Defunct no more. You see? And so Paul says, Lest if the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. You see? I love this so much because Paul, he's not just saying, hey, you guys should be ashamed of you. If this were to happen, if, if, if we were, if you were unprepared, if, if you didn't, you, you were unprepared in giving and, and actually doing now, then it's not you, you know, it would be shameful for you. Paul includes himself and the Macedonians. We, not to mention you, exclamation point, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. So the shame would be on Paul. The holy bubble, those in the holy bubble, Corinth, everybody being shamed by the unpreparedness. 
Paul's boasting wouldn't match reality. You see? And now you see, just as we studied last week and in previous chapters, even in 1 Corinthians, the body caring for the body, but then at the same time, understand that the body can also hurt the body. Look at the leaven, how they hurt the body in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at their statehood of babiness, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And the works of the flesh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And look at how the leaven hurt the body. You see? Yes, the body cares for the body, but the body can also hurt the body. It's painful to bring these topics up. Chapter 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 6, all those, very difficult. Very difficult to study. I mean, almost like cringeworthy, like what? This is happening in the church? Yes, it was happening in the church. Almost cringeworthy what you see happening in the church today. That's happening in the church? Yes, that's happening. The, the pastor's having sex with these women? Yes, that's happening in the church. The youth leader's having sex with these kids? Yes, that's happening in the church. This, you know, ministry leader for children is molesting the children, boys and girls. Yes, that's happening in the church. It's cringeworthy. It's so painful. Like, oh my goodness, how could this be? What, this pastor's doing drugs? Yes, he's doing drugs. This pastor's alcoholic? Yes, he's alcoholic. And I'm just talking about the pulpit Christians. Now, what happens when the defunct become the leaders? The church becomes defunct. It's not good. That's not the formula. That's not the formula. It takes somebody like a Paul, like a Chloe, like a Timothy, like a Titus. It takes somebody like that. With godly responsibilities, God-given responsibilities. What if Paul was like, he reads Chloe's letter. Paul reads Chloe's letter. Okay, there's a guy who's having sex with his dad's wife and... Here's this other guy, you know, they're doing the drugs, they're doing the alcohol, they're doing, okay, but God is love, no big deal. You know, let's go on to Philippi. What if Paul said, I'm not trying to sound heretical in saying that, but do you see, if Paul said that, come on, bubble, let's go to, let's go to Philippi. If Paul said that, he would be disobedient unto the Lord. You see, he would be disobedient. But no, in obedience, he has to say these hard things. Hard things. Listen to our study. Do you remember? If you're listening the first time and you, you haven't listened to 1 Corinthians, make a point to listen to 1 Corinthians. And if, if you're listening on a platform that doesn't have that, go to the church website, hit us up, and we'll get it to you. We'll make it available to you. Because you have to learn this. You have to understand these things because the last day's church is either false, it is apostate, it is entering apostasy, or it is true. And you need to make these distinctions so you don't submit yourself into crazy town. You see? Oh, but this guy's a good teacher. This guy's a good teacher. He might be a crackhead. This guy's a good teacher. He might be having sex with... The children in the church. The works of the flesh. The blind. If the blind follow the blind, both will fall into a dead ditch. You might be blind today, but if you're following somebody who has eyes to see and ears to hear, you're going to be safe and you're not going to be blind tomorrow. You're going to have eyes to see. You're going to grow. You're going to mature. 
such is the case with Corinth. And now Paul is teaching them about money, about giving. You see, the formula isn't followed in a lot of churches. What pastor do you know will say, hey, if you're a baby Christian, if you're a brand new believer, we don't want your money. Who do you know would say that? See? And so Paul says this, we would be ashamed of this confident boasting. So Paul is going around, all oh, these, these Corinthian saints, oh, you're going to love them. They're so beautiful. And now the, 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 uh, the, the boasting, it has to match what Paul is saying. You see? Now, you hear a lot of people say, we're all sinners saved by grace, which is true. Praise be to the Lord. We're all sinners saved by grace. But sometimes I wonder, sometimes I wonder if that's just a cop-out. We're all sinners saved by grace. Sometimes I wonder if it's just a cop-out among the defunct pastors, the defunct elders who are unwilling to address sin. Oh, I'm too afraid to address this carnality in this brother, in this sister. I'm too afraid. So I'm just going to say we're all sinners saved by grace. Yes, it is a biblical fact, a biblical truth. We are all sinners saved by grace. But when carnality starts to surface, when the works of the flesh start to surface, a pastor, an elder has to address that. Needs to address that in his God-given responsibility. Emphasis on his God-given responsibility. Pastor Jennifer doesn't apply. That unbiblical. Oh, Pastor Jennifer, Pastor Jennifer, Pastor. No, unbiblical. Pastors are always male. I'm not foursquare. You see? I'm not Calvinist. I'm not foursquare. I just teach the Bible. Sometimes I wonder if people say, Oh, we're all sinners saved by grace. I wonder if that's the defunct's way of coping with the sin instead of dealing with the sin, instead of separating from the sin. You see? Paul says, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Understand that, yes, the body cares for the body, but the body can also hurt the body. The body can also hurt the body. It's like, you know, gangrene. When a body gets gangrene, you cut it, cut it off. Cut the, you know, a, a frostbite. It gets gangrene in the, in the toes. All of a sudden, okay, cut it off. Cut off the foot. Cut off the toes. Oh, it's spread even further. Okay, cut off the foot. Okay. So, cut off the foot. I mean, I don't want to be harsh in saying it like that, but that's what happens. Well, what happens when gangrene comes into the church? You see? Cut it off. Just like Paul says to the church, the saints in 1 Corinthians 5. That's leaven. Cut it off. Leprosy, Old Testament. Cut it off. Not in the camp. Outside the camp. Always outside the camp. Leprosy outside the camp. It's not to say, okay, the leper is outside the camp is going to burn in hell. No, the leper is outside the camp and the leper is outside the camp. And then all of a sudden, you know, in the course of time, the leper is clean, made clean again and then brought back into the camp. There's a there processes involved for cleanliness to enter the, the tent once again, a family's tent again. There's processes behind that. Remember the uh, running water, living water? 
Listen to our study through Leviticus. You'll understand. Same thing in the church. Leaven. Outside the camp. Outside the camp. Always outside the camp. Now, we get into 2 Corinthians in the earlier chapters. Paul says, okay, the leaven, bring this back. Bring this formerly leaven. They've repented. You know, they're, they're, bring them back into the fellowship. Now, it's not to say, take this leaven and bring the leaven back into the fellowship. It's to say, this leaven is no longer leaven. They've repented. Bring them back into the fellowship. And if they start to have these tendencies where they start to do the sex again, they start to do the drugs again, look at the saints now. The saints aren't babies to where they're going to be influenced by the sex, the drugs, the alcohol. No, they're more mature. They're going to say, hey, cut it out. Or that formerly leaven who's now brought back, if he or she has these tendencies of the works of the flesh, now he or she is going to be influenced by the more mature Christians, the more mature saints. Do you see? That's that's what I'm so... Remember, remember we started our study in Corinth, uh, First Corinthians? I have a love-hate relationship with the Corinthian church. I, you know, not to sound blasphemous in saying that. I love them. They're saints. I can't wait to meet them. But I do have a love-hate relationship. I like what we're seeing here. I'm so in love. Oh my goodness, it's so beautiful what's happening among this remnant. But in First Corinthians chapter five, it's, well, I hate these works of the flesh. I hate it. I don't like you know. Corinth, is there not one wise person among you? Who are your teachers? Who are your pastors? Who are your elders? Is there not one wise person? Corinth, just one. One. You see? And so Paul says this in verse 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says in verse 5, Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand. This is so beautiful. Because, you know, you see... Care for the bo- uh, care for the body, and in, not just the body, but understand Corinth. Yes, they're moving on to perfection. Yes, they're more mature, and yes, they're being taught these uh, things about money and giving sacrificially unto the Lord. But you see, Paul's care for the saints, sending like an 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 advance party, so to speak. A group of guys, you know, I'm sending these people in advance, you know, and they're going to handle the, they're going to, that you, uh, he says, and prepare your generous gift beforehand. And I love that so much. It reminds me, say, for example, if you have a child and baby, baby girl is learning how to ride a bike and baby girl has her training wheels on. She said, mama, papa, don't let go of me. I don't want to fall. Baby girl, I'm right here. I'm right here, baby girl. You're not going to fall. If you do fall, I'm right here. If you do lean over, you're going to fall into my hands, baby girl. You're going to fall into my arms, baby girl. Nothing's going to harm you. And baby girl starts riding. And then all of a sudden, she starts going faster. And you're like, oh, snap. I can't run. <laughs> she starts going faster. But then she doesn't need you anymore. You see? Because, you know, she might be leaning on the left on her training wheels. And baby girl leaning to the right on her training wheels. And all of a sudden, she's like, hey, look at me, mama. Look at me, papa. And you're so proud of baby girl because she's riding and wow, it's so beautiful. And then all of a sudden, you know, you take off the training wheels. You take off the training wheels and she's freaked out. Oh, mama, papa, I can't do this. 
baby girl, you can do it. And look, I'm going to be right here next to you. And so baby girl starts going and she's like scared. And sure enough, there she goes. She starts going. She doesn't need no training wheels, no mama, no papa, but you're still right there just in case. You see? And then what if she falls? Boom, she falls on the ground. She's crying. She's scraped. She's bleeding on her knee because she scraped at her knee. She's bleeding on her knee. Baby girl, here I am. I'm here, baby girl. Kind of huffing and puffing because you have to catch up to her. <laughs> oh, baby girl, I'm here. I'm going to take care of you, baby girl. Pick her up. Take her inside. Clean up her wound. Bandage it. Oh, baby girl, you fell. But look, I'm right here. I'm taking care of you, baby girl. You're going to be okay, baby girl. You see? I remember a time when I fell, baby girl. And my parents did this to me. My mama did this to me. My, your, your grandma, your grandpa did this. You see? You see what you're passing on to your children? Oh, but baby girl, let me tell you about a time when I fell in the Lord. I stumbled in Christ. Let me tell you about a time and he showed himself faithful. Imagine the conversations of, you know, beautiful, beautiful Eleazar who's now the high priest for the camp of Israel, the second generation. Beautiful, beautiful Eleazar. But imagine his conversations with his dad, Aaron. Imagine those conversations, that table talk. Imagine that, you know, dinner table. Imagine those conversations. Oh, Eleazar, my beautiful son, Eleazar. I was unfaithful to the Lord. I fashioned the golden calf. I made the golden calf with my hands. My hands are the very hands that touched this golden calf. You see? Oh, Eleazar, I fell before the Lord. And I was a poor influence, you know? I was a poor influence in that state of fallenness. And your two older brothers, they're now gone. You see, they're consumed by the fire, Eleazar. Oh, Eleazar, I fell so hard, but the Lord was faithful. And yes, I repented. Yes, I repented. But you see, I still remember that fallenness. Not to look back and, you know, uh, you know, we, we look back in reference to these, these things. Remember our study about the, uh, here I raise my Ebenezer. I, I, I sang it wrong, but. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Remember? Remember? Stone of help. Stone of remembrance. Stone of help. All these blocks, these things that we erect to remember. And Aaron, beautiful Aaron, the, 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 Aaron in the aftermath of repentance. Oh, Eleazar, the Lord was faithful. Remember, you know, when I fell? Look, these very hands. And now look how faithful the Lord was. Look, these very hands do these sacrifices in a tabernacle. These very hands go into the holy place. Enter the... You see? It's the same Aaron, but a different Aaron. You see? The same shell of Aaron, but inside it's a different Aaron. And beautiful Eleazar, little boy, hears this, sees this. The influence of Aaron in the aftermath of his repentance. 
And Aaron can pour into his son. Remember when I fell? And look how faithful the Lord was. And now you have Eliezer. Now he's grown up. An adult. And he's the high priest for the second generation. Beautiful. Beautiful. And that's what I see. It's like Paul, his care for the Corinthian church. Yes, he loves them. Yes, he pours into them. And yes, he continues to care for them. To, you know, in verse 5. I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to, to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand. You see, I'm going to be right there, saints. I'm going to be right there, Corinth. You know, vicariously through these people, but, you know. Which you had previously promised. Now, you also see a little bit of accountability. A little bit of accountability. Because... Very interesting. You know, we're going to get into the topic of spiritual warfare. You know, the things of the demonic realm next week in chapter, you know, Lord willing, if the Lord might have us in another passage, but Lord willing, we'll be in chapter 10 and we're going to get into spiritual warfare. Remember, Satan roams around like a lion waiting for him, for whom he may devour. And it could be that the saints in Corinth says, oh yeah, we're, we're, we're going to uh, do this offering. And then Satan might creep in. You see? Paul says, no, I'm, I'm going to take care of you. I, I got you. I got you. You see, a little bit of accountability too. How beautiful is this to help young Corinth grow into maturity. Grow into maturity in Christ. You see what's happening? Very interesting how the topic of money isn't brought up in 1 Corinthians, but it's brought up we're already six years deep from the birth of the church, and now it's being brought up. Giving, financial giving. And also very interesting, spiritual warfare, uh, demonic warfare. It's not even brought up until we're going to get into these chapters next week, Lord willing. Very interesting. You see, just like an example, a five-year-old, oh, I want to go to war, I want to go to war. Okay, you got, you got to learn first. You have to grow first. You have to mature first. And, you know, the fight's going to come to you. You don't have to go to war. War's coming to you. But you got to be ready for it. You see? Just like God in Israel. You know, God took care of Egypt. You know, God says to Israel, hey, I took care of Egypt. But you take care of the Canaanites. Oh, but they're giants. They're giants. We can't look this... This guy's little tiny toe is the size of my head. These guys are giants. And their fear cost them. And not just them, the entire first generation. You see? The second generation. Look at look at now the second generation, which we're, we're, we're going to study more. In not just, I mean, we're going to touch Deuteronomy. We're going to get to Deuteronomy before, before we get to Joshua, but... We're going to study these things and you're going to see the growth and you're still going to see the fall. Different, you know, different falls and different situations, different aspects, different. But what about ourselves? The ups and downs of the Christian walk, the ups and the downs, the ebbs and the flows of the Christian walk. Do You see? And we learn. We learn and we grow. We matriculate first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. On to perfection. 
And so we see this in verse 5 about the generous gift. He says that it may be ready at the end of verse 5, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Whoa. A grudging obligation translates as covetousness, but as extortion. You see? Now, say for example, say we're a fellowship in Los Angeles, California. We're a fellowship in SoCal. And, you know, we're, everybody's a brand new believer. Everybody. We have uh, 40 people in the fellowship and everybody is a brand new believer. Praise be to the Lord. But what if I start saying, okay, everybody write your checks for 10% of your income and, you know, put it in the offering plate. And I'll tell you something about babies. Babies. Babies can't make this distinction. They say, well, you know, okay, this guy's a pastor, so I'm going to do what he says. You see? And there's a lot of manipulation that pastors can do. A lot of manipulation that pastors, woe to them, W-O-E, woe be unto them. I don't, I don't mean to say that a lot of manipulation that pastors can do and just leave it at that. No, woe to them. It's wickedness. Babies don't understand. They figure, okay, this guy's helping me. Um, the Bible says to submit to this guy, so I'm going to submit to this guy. But you have to be a Berean. You see? So all of a sudden to babies, I say, okay, everybody write your checks for 10%. And, you know, uh, uh, some might give write their checks. Others might write their checks and they're going to be like, oh, this guy, I can't believe he said this. And look, he's just, I, I got to write this check. And here I am writing this check. That's kind of old school. You know, I'm, I'm aging myself. Who writes checks anymore? But I'm just giving an example. Some... If the millennial Generation Z, what's a check? You know, so, no, okay. What if I, uh, 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 cash, you know, cash. who were, uh, cash is even old school. So, but you get the, you get the drift. You get the concept. Everybody write your check for 10%. Everybody write your check for 10%. Some people, people are going to start writing their checks. Writing their checks. Okay, 10%, put it in the offering plate. And some are going to, uh, the majority are going to write their checks. Oh, I can't believe this guy is saying this. Oh, I got, I got to write this. Man, I was going to I was gonna uh, buy a radio, you know. I was going to, even radios are old school now. <laughs> I was going to go out to dinner and I'm here I am writing this check. Oh, man, grudging. Everything's grudging. You know who would be in the wrong? Me. Not you. Me. A lot of pastors, they give guilt trips to the saints. They give these guilt trips. Oh, you know, you shouldn't give in a grudging manner. Don't give in a grudging manner. But listen, if you're grudging, don't give. If you tithe and you offer and you're doing it in a grudging manner, you feel, oh man, I don't. Why do I have to tithe? I'm gonna. I, I want to go go out to eat. I want to go out to dinner tonight, and I can't do that because here I gotta tithe. Listen, don't tithe. Don't tithe. Don't tithe. Don't make your financial offering. Go out to dinner. Have a good time. I mean, you know, I, I mean, have a good time like, you know, eating dinner. I don't mean have a good time like, you know, go out and do crazy business. Do that. It's okay. It is completely okay. But there's also something else. That grudgingness, that is showing you something about your own heart. It is showing you a little bit of childish nature. It's okay. Look, don't give. Go out to dinner. Have a good time. You know, laugh. 
yuck it up. Don't be stupid. Don't, you know, get drunk and be stupid because that brings in, a, that brings in other aspects of what a pastor has to do. Don't do that. Don't bring shame to the name of Jesus Christ. So go out and have a good time, but don't bring shame to the name of Jesus Christ. But if you're grudgingly giving, don't give. But let it be an indicator of you got to die more. You see? That you have to die more. Turn with me really quick to Malachi chapter 3, Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3. And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, will a man rob God? That's a hardcore question. Will a man rob God? Question mark. Yet you have robbed me! Exclamation point. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? We're inside the camp. How can we rob you, Lord? We're in the camp. How can we rob you? And the Lord says this, in tithes and offerings. Whoa. In tithes and offerings? Yes, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. You see? Whoa. We've robbed you, Lord? Yes, you've robbed the Lord. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. You will never see, very rare, I won't say never because it's right here, but you will very rarely see the Lord say, try me now. You will almost never see that. But here he says, in this, try me. In this, try me. The majority of time he says, don't you dare try me. I'm little additives. He just says, don't try me. I'm saying, don't you dare try the Lord. But here he says, in this, try me, says the Lord of hosts. He says, if I will not open for you the the window of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not even there not be room enough to receive it. Now, a lot of pastors, a lot of pastors, they use these verses to convict and compel saints. Look, test the Lord in this. Test the Lord and give. If you give 10 bucks, he's going to open up the the, 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 pour out for you the blessings of heaven. And then people start to use babies, babies. They don't, they're, they start to feel convicted. Oh, I've robbed God. Am I robbing God? I, I, I have to give a hundred dollars. And then look, if I give a hundred dollars, the Lord is going to provide these blessings. So I'm going to give a hundred dollars and then maybe he'll give me a thousand dollars. Wow. That's what this pastor is telling me to do. I give $20 and then I'll get $200 later. Wow. This is, you know what they do? They diminish the Lord. They diminish the Lord treating him like a casino. They diminish the Lord by treating him like they gamble at a casino. I give $20 and maybe I can get $200. You see? And what happens when you have these losers at their at the casino? These losers go to the casino and it's like, wow, you know, they have their 100 bucks. And they go, wow, I'm going to turn this 100 bucks into 1,000. And these losers go to the casino and it's like all of a sudden they get depressed. Like, man, I lost $100. I'm going to get drunk. You see, all these losers, they do that. And that's what people do with the Lord. They They turn them into a casino. I don't blame the Christians. I don't blame the the pews. I blame the pulpit. I blame the pastors. Pastors teach 
If you're a pastor, you need to teach, but teach in accordance to the Word of God and with the wisdom of the Word of God. Don't use these verses to compel the saints. Don't use these verses to present a false hope. Oh yeah, you you tithe $200 and the Lord will give you $500. The Lord will, will increase you bountifully. No, don't do that. If you're a baby Christian, don't give money. Give your heart to the Lord. Don't give money. Give your heart to the Lord as a living sacrifice. You see? These passages are true. When you give, the Lord will pour out such a blessing. He will pour these things out. But are the blessings of the Lord finances? Look at Macedonia. They were poor, but they were rich. They had a super abounding of joy. And they were still poor. Look at Smyrna. They were poor. And the Lord says, red letters, you are poor, but you are rich. But they were still poor. What is this richness that the Lord speaks of? Now, God's riches are not of this world. The riches of the Lord, I meant, look at, look at Macedonia, the saints of Macedonia. How they were very rich in joy. They had a super abounding of joy. Blessing of the Lord. You see? But they were still poor. You have poor people that go into church. And they have, they, 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 they treat the Lord like scratch -its. You know, they, they uh, here, Lord, here's a hundred dollars. And they treat the hundred dollars like scratch -its. Oh, in two weeks, I'm going to get five hundred dollars. In two weeks, oh, I have faith. Name it and claim it. I have faith that the Lord will do this. It's not, you might have faith, but you're not following the formula right. It's not the right formula. It's not the right. You're, it's, it's the wrong formula. You're doing it wrong. It's like math. Not just two plus two, but more complex math. There's an order of operations to complex math. And if you do one little thing wrong, you're going to get the wrong equation. I mean, it's one thing if you're just doing like, you know, a little paper test, a little paper exam. But it's another thing if that equation is tied to deeper things that have you know, deeper implications. What about the Word of God? These are definitely deeper implications. Eternal implications. What about the Word of God? A lot of pastors like to manipulate and compel Christians. Okay, you give, you give, you give, you give, you give. Give of your wallet. Give of your finances. 10%, 10%, 10%. 10% is Old Testament. Old Covenant. Not to say that you can't do 10% as New Covenant, but I'm just emphasizing 10% is Old Covenant. How about Christians who uh, tithe and make offerings that are 60%, 70%? You see? I'm not throwing, I'm just, I'm not just, I'm just giving you an example. Remember, don't give your wallet. First, give your heart. First, give your heart. And if you're grudging, if you do tithe and you do offer and you do it grudgingly, don't give. Stop giving. You see? I don't want your money. 
If you're listening to the first time, you're like, man, this is my first thing. The first thing I'm listening to, boom, right at the gate. He's talking about money. Well, it just so happens that the Lord has this here. I don't want your money. But what I do want is to present your soul to Jesus Christ. You see? And I want you to hear in your ears, well done, my good and faithful servant. In order for that to happen, we, together, we have to be obedient. You see? Unto Him. Unto Him. As directed by His Word, Genesis to Revelation. If you're a pastor, don't use these verses like Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 through 10. Don't use these verses to compel to convict saints, okay, you look, you're robbing God, you're robbing God. Now, you look at the state of Israel when the Lord says, you know, will a man rob God? You look at the state of Israel, you know what it was? Disobedience. Their disobedience led to deeper things, you see. Led to deeper works of the flesh, deeper disobedience. As a result of their, as a result of their disobedience, you see these hardcore verses, look, you're robbing me. That's what the Lord said. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what the Lord said. You're robbing me, guys. How? In what way? You see? Now these verses, it's don't give to get. Don't give money to get money. You see? Remember the formula, in, then, through. The Lord first does the work inside of you. But he doesn't just barge in and say, hey, I'm going to do the work inside of you. You have to surrender to him. You have to yield to him. You see? You have to open your heart to him. And the Lord does the work inside of you. Just like we see with Corinth. Exactly like we see in Corinth. Paul isn't talking about money in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He isn't talking about money in 1 Corinthians. He's talking about money in 2 Corinthians, the remnant. Not the babies. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 9. And in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul says here at the end of verse 5 that it may be ready as a matter of generosity. You see, generosity and not as grudging obligation. But this I say, he, now, if you're a baby, you know, if you're, a, 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 I'll just read it. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, that's a hardcore verse in verse 6. Very convicting for babies. Very, very convicting for babies. But if you're a baby, don't do this yet. This isn't for you yet. You say, how dare you say that? It's in the Bible. You're telling me it's not for you? Well, look at Corinth. Observe Corinth. This verse, verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This verse is not given in 1 Corinthians 3. You will not find this verse in 1 Corinthians 3. You will not find this verse in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, 6, 7. You will not find it. Why? Because they were carnal I speak as to babes, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For you are still carnal, he says. I fed you with milk and you're still on milk. You will not find this verse to baby Christians. Where you do see this verse is right here, chapter 9, verse 6. That's where you see this verse and this is the remnant. These are more mature Christians. If you're a baby, 
This verse is not for you yet. You see, a lot of pastors, they like to convict the saints of God with these verses. Uh, if you sow sparingly, you're also going to reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. And they do that because they're the money preachers. The money preachers. And this verse is scary to babies. Because who wants to reap sparingly? You see? But pastors twist. So-called, I do my air quotes. So-called pastors, they twist. Remember the formula. In, then, through. Instead of presenting your wallet to the Lord, present your heart. Instead of giving your wallet to the Lord, give your heart to Him. Give your hearts to Him. You give grudgingly, don't give. Stop giving. You see? What pastor will tell you that? You know, if you give grudgingly, don't give. Who will say that to you? You see? Not the false church. Not the apostate church. Not those entering apostasy. But if you give grudgingly, don't give. You see? Let it be an indicator of your own carnal nature. And then you know, okay, you have some more dying to do. You have some more dying to do. And praise be to the Lord. It's not like you have more dying to do and you know, you're going to burn in hell. No, you have more dying to do in terms of reckoning the old man dead, reckoning the old woman dead, and you know, being new wineskin. The danger behind, uh, you know, you hear me say, you know, the babies, babies this, more mature. When we make these distinctions, because when I say these aren't for babies, is because you start to see, and you see it a lot today, old wineskin in ministry. Old wineskin in ministry. And old wineskin can hold new wine. Only for a brief moment. Old wineskin can certainly contain new wine, but only in brevity, because that new wine is going to soak into the skin of the old wineskin, and little holes are going to form. And the new wine, instead of pouring out for the top and overflowing into ministry, you're going to see it pouring out from the bottom, little holes in the old wineskin. You see? That's why he said, oh, yeah, I'm going to go into ministry. He said, oh, oh you, you had these ministry leaders. They want to enter the ministry and, you know, uh, teach here and preach here and do these things. Oh, it's in the name of the Lord. And then what happens? You know, a year later, they're crackheads. A year later, li year later they're sex heads. A year later, they're alcoholics. They're into Ouija boards. They're doing the occult. It's because it's old wineskins have babies entering ministry. Old wineskins. It's, it's the wrong formula. Oh, but you know, all these people, they spoke in tongues. I went to church, these 500 people and 500 people in the fellowship and 500 people spoke in tongues. Even the little one-year-old can't even speak English. The one-year-old can't even speak English and you call that tongues? You see? You're doing it wrong. That's not the formula. Oh, you're so mean. You're so mean. What, what does that mean? It's the, it's the blueprints. How's it mean? It's the blueprints. The Lord teaches us. He gave this. We have his word. Oh, don't you dare come at me with the word. I went to Bible college. I know Genesis to Revelation. That's even worse. 
You sow seeds of judgment to yourself because you know better. You know and you don't do. You see? People always get on their high horse. Oh, don't don't come at me with this. Don't you dare because I know the Bible left and right. I know the Bible like the back of my hand. Fool. Foolish one. That's even worse for you because you know better. Better is it to know a little bit of the Bible and apply it to your life than it is to know the entirety of the Bible and apply zero. Better is the soul who knows a little and applies it all. Because knowing a little is only temporary. Remember, knowledge is a gift of the Spirit. And it's only a matter of time before that knowledge grows and expands But then you have a soul who's well-exercised and well-versed in submission unto the Lord. Submission yielding to the Spirit, yielding to the Word of God. In the course of time, maturity will happen in that soul. Growth will happen in that soul. And better is the end for that soul than it is for the latter, for the other. You see? Oh, but I know the Bible left and right. I went to Bible college. I went to seminary. Most seminaries today are cemeteries. Straight up. Last days. These things must happen. These things must happen. And so we see this. Verse 6. I can't stress this enough. This is not for babies. As is evidence here in 2 Corinthians, to the remnant, to the more mature. Verse 6, not for babies. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. In verse 7, so let each one give each one. Let each one give as he purposed in his heart, as he purposes in his heart or as he attends to in his heart. Now, something we see here too. You hear me say, if you're a baby, keep your money. If you give grudgingly, keep your money. Yes, keep your money. But I'll say this. In chapter 8, in chapter 8 at the end of verse 7, Paul says to the saints, he says, See that you also abound in this grace also, which is the grace of giving. See that you also abound in this grace. Abound in giving. So if you're a baby, you know, Understand that, you know, don't give first. Instead of your wallet, give your heart. And if you give grudgingly, don't give. But let it be an indicator that, hey, you need to grow. There's this area in your life in the topic of money. There's this area in your life where you need to die more. You see, I can't tell you how many times babies, baby Christians, Oh yeah, we have to give, we have to give. It's loving, it's loving. And yes, it is biblically true. But not for the baby. Not for the immature. It's for the mature. For those who are maturing. Not for the baby. Because oh yeah, the baby says, oh yeah, we have to give, we have to give. And you know what happens? They're like destitute. Because in the course of time, Something happens. Oh, yeah, we have to give. We have to give. We have to give. And then, boom, destruction comes. You see? Don't forget, wisdom can laugh. Wisdom can laugh. Wisdom 
on the rooftop saying, you know, here, you know, heed my voice, heed my voice. And people in the marketplace just walking around, ignoring wisdom. And then when destruction comes, when folly comes, what happens? Wisdom laughs. Wisdom laughs. Say to understanding, you are my nearest kin of wisdom. You are my nearest sister. You see, wisdom. Oh, but we have to give, we have to give, we have to give. Yes, we have to give. But if you're a baby, babies do it grudgingly. Babies don't understand the deeper implications of what Satan can do to a soul. They don't understand the deeper implications of what it means to be giving while in a carnal state. You see, babies don't understand the wisdom of maturity, maturing in Christ and giving cheerfully. Giving without obligation. Babies don't understand. How can a baby understand this? They're babies. And so babies under defunct pastoral leadership, under defunct elders, babies partake in these things. They enter into ministries being old wineskin. You see, they haven't moved on to perfection. They haven't reckoned the old man dead. They haven't reckoned the old woman dead. And then you start to see the works of the flesh in churches. Not just in churches, among ministry leaders. You see the sex, you know, the, the pastor who's having sex with everybody, the pastor who's going to strip clubs, this pastor who's doing the drugs, the pastor who's doing the alcohol, the pastor who's doing the occult, the pastor who's doing his Ouija boards, the pastor who's doing his yoga, the pastor who's, you know, doing all these things. Being led away. You see? That's what happens. You know, we live in such a culture. We live in such a world that, you know, for me to explain these things, it's almost it, it, it's almost superfluous. <laughs> it's almost unnecessary because we see these things happen. And the name of the Lord is dragged through the mud by us. Our own doing. Have you ever talked to non-believers, non-Christians, atheists, agnostics? I want nothing to do with the church. I want nothing to do because they're full of a bunch of hypocrites. This pastor, he's such a hypocrite. Yeah, I agree. There's a large concentration of hypocrites among pastoral leadership. Absolutely. I'm in agreement. You agree with the atheists in that regard? Yes. And when I speak with these atheists, even Satanists, when I have these conversations with them, a lot of them know the Bibles more than a lot of pastors I know. A lot of these Satanists know their Bibles. A lot of these atheists know their Bibles. And they reject the Bible based on what they've seen among Christians. And if you're a Satanist, if you're atheist, agnostic, God loves you. Don't blame God for what you see in Christians. You follow Jesus Christ. Remember Peter? Hey, Lord, what about this guy? What's your concern about this guy? What's your concern? I'm talking to you, Peter. If you're atheist, Satanist, agnostic, whatever, and you reject the Bible based on what you see in other Christians, don't do that. Just like Jesus says to Peter, forget these other people. Forget that guy. I'm talking to you, Peter. What does the Lord say to you? Forget this guy. Forget this church. Forget. I'm talking to you. 
God loves you. He loves you. Yeah, but this church, they're, they're doing this, they're doing that. I know. And the Bible says that judgment comes first in the house of God. You think they're going to get away with it? You think God's not seeing this? You fear God more than they fear God. Don't let those things present walls between you and the Lord. They've erected the walls, not you. Well, you might have as a result of their hypocrisy. But I say, just like the walls of Jericho, tear them down. Tear them down because God loves you. You make a choice for your soul. They made a choice for theirs. And the name of the Lord is shamed because of their behavior. Behavior. I'm like, oh, this pastor, he has sex with the, 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 this, the, the, the youth group. The pastor has sex with the ladies, the girls. This pastor, he's molesting children. You think they're going to get away with it? Number one, they should be in prison. They should be in prison. I'm in complete and total agreement. Oh, but this pastor's a crackhead. I see it. I see it. And I'm in agreement with you. He shouldn't be a pastor. That's what happened. It pains me to speak this way. But we see it. These things must come to pass. It is written. Signs of the last days. You see? Get in the ark. Join me in the ark. If you're atheist, non-believer, Satanist, deny those things and come out of her, my people. There is a better way. Now, if that's you, you hit pause and you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. You commit your life to Jesus Christ and then you come back and you listen. We continue together and we grow together and we mature together. You see? Wow, I've never heard anybody talk about money this way. A pastor tells me don't give. Yes, don't give yet. (laughs) Give your hearts to Christ first. Remember, we're six years deep for Corinth. Six years deep. Does that mean I don't have to give for six years? Could be. It could be. It might be that you mature quicker, like Macedonia. It could be that you mature quicker, like Philippi. Corinth had some issues under the tutelage of the defunct. You see? Oh, but my pastor, Pastor Jennifer, tells me this. Hey, that's defunct. That's not the formula. You see? I'm a brand new believer. My pastor says I have to write a check for 10%. Hey, brand new believer, that's not the formula. Defunct. Not you, them. You see? And if if the defunct wants to lead, don't follow them. Straight up. And so we see this in verse 7. So let each one give as give as he purposes in his heart, as he intends to in his heart. Now, for pastors, if you're a pastor and you're listening, this is a heart's intent before the Lord. A heart's intent before the Lord. And I have a message for you. Don't meddle. Don't meddle. What a heart intends to give before the Lord. Don't meddle. Just butt out. You see? A soul has given his heart to the Lord. A soul has given her heart to the Lord. And the Lord has done a beautiful work inside of him, inside of her, and is pouring into him and is pouring into her. 
And now this heart says, okay, Lord, thank you for doing this work. And I want to give. This is all I can do. I can only give five bucks. Pastor, butt out. Lord, I'm so thankful you've done this work in in my life. I got to pay rent, but Lord, I want this giving to hurt. And so I'm going to, here, here's $100. Pastor, butt out. You see, don't meddle. That's a heart before the Lord. In verse 7, he continues, he says, not grudgingly or of necessity, which is by compulsion. You see, not by compulsion. Pastors, don't compel the saints to give. Don't compel the saints. You teach, you pour. And somebody says, how do I serve the Lord? How do I serve the Lord? What do I do to serve the Lord? You know, present your body a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. But I want to serve the Lord. Look, I have, you know, a hundred dollars. What do I do? What do I do? I got a hundred dollars. I'm a baby Christian. What do I do? Keep it. Keep it. Present your body a living sacrifice. Instead of presenting your wallet, present your heart to the Lord. You see? For God loves, in verse 7, a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves it. Remember in our study in Leviticus when we presented, you know, start thinking of your life as a sweet aroma unto the Lord. You see? God loves a cheerful giver. That's a sweet aroma to him. A cheerful giver, not grudgingly. Lord, this is for you. Five bucks, ten bucks, a thousand bucks. I don't care. Fifty cents. It's unto the Lord. You see, babies can't understand this. Babies can't understand this. And babies... it, It... more death is necessary in order for this verse to come true. God loves a cheerful giver. You want to give grudgingly? Don't give. You see, God loves a cheerful giver. Pastors butt out. This is a saint before the Lord and giving financially. And so now we see this in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency, which translates as uh, contentment. Contentment. Very interesting. Contentment. And all things may have an abundance for every good work or super abounding, super abounding for every good work. You see? Now, there are poor people who hate being poor, but I know poor people who are content. I know middle-class people who are content. I know wealthy people who are content. I also know, you know, poor who hate being poor. They want more money. I know middle-class who are middle-class and they they want more money. I know wealthy who are wealthy and they want more. That's not good. Contentment. Contentment. That's what, it's a gift of the Lord. God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you Always having all sufficiency or all contentment in all things. What do you mean contentment? But they're poor. That's that's carnal thinking. That's carnal thinking. 
Look at look at Macedonia in our study last week, the Macedonian example. They were very poor, deep poverty, and yet super abounding in joy. You see? Super abounding in joy, ready for every good work. Look at their works. They were giving it to Paul. Paul, you got to pay your rent. You got to pay your gas. You got to pay your water. You got to pay your utilities. Paul, take it. Take it. The Lord is faithful. He will provide. He will provide. And yes, Paul, you see these big smiles on our face. We're so full of joy. We love you, Paul. We're so full of joy here. Take the money. I don't wonder if Paul had tears streaming down his cheeks. These beautiful, beautiful saints of Macedonia. And now, the effect, the, the influence of the Macedonians on the Corinthians, and now the Corinthians' impact on other saints. Remember verse uh, uh, 2, how your zeal has stirred the majority, stirred up the majority. You see how beautiful this is? Contentment. Whether poor, content. Middle class, contentment. Wealthy, contentment. You see, people say, oh, yeah, the wealthier bad, the wealthier bad. Eat the rich, eat the rich. Now, pray for the wealthy because it is easier for the for a camel to enter a needle, the eye of a needle than it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. But even still, there are rich believers who underwrite and fund a lot of ministries, godly ministries. And in these last days, heavy emphasis on the persecuted church, sending Bibles they buy the Bibles, they buy the, they pay for the planes, they pay for the oil, they pay for the gas, they pay for all the material, they pay payroll of the, the, the people involved in these ministries. They work very, very hard. And yes, the Lord has blessed them financially, but where do those finances go? And they fund the persecuted church. Sending Bibles, you know, it's a restricted airspace in certain countries. So the plane flies and does like a quick loop in restricted airspace, a quick, quick loop. And they drop these Bible boxes with uh, uh, parachutes and they drop these boxes in the forest. And then the Christians in those countries, they come into the forest, they grab the boxes, cut the lines, the parachute like cut the lines and quickly run the boxes away. And the boxes are full of Bibles where the Bibles are prohibited material, illegal to have a Bible. It could cost you your life, imprisonment for sure, but it can cost you your life to have a Bible. And the Christians run, the saints run out, grab the boxes that were just freshly dropped. The plane flies back and lands and, you know, it gets more. The Christians run out, the saints run out, grab these boxes, and then they scurry deep into the forest. Then they get to their hidden place, they open up the boxes, and they start to distribute the Bibles. Here, brother, this is for you. Here, sister, this is for you. No worship, no singing worship, because if they sing, they're going to get caught. And they just study the Bible and they whisper, like Bible study, and they whisper. They study the Bible, you see, and they whisper like this. They whisper so nobody can hear, only those in close proximity. Their Bible studies, like heads are practically touching because the, the pastor is teaching and he has to whisper. And he says, God bless you, beautiful saints. Let's open up our Bibles here. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And the saints are following along in their Bible. And the pastor's whispering. Everything really quiet. And they meet in undisclosed locations. You see? 
A lot of times people say, oh yeah, the wealthy, they're so evil, they're so evil, but I know godly wealthy. And they, they toil, they toil, they toil, they toil. And the proceeds that the Lord gives them in the bounty, the bounty that the Lord gives, they send and they fund the persecuted church. You see? Sending Bibles. Sending relief. Pray for, pray for the wealthy. And the wealthy, pray for the poor. Support the poor. Help the poor. Remember, it's the remnant. It's not a Marxist mentality. It's a remnant mentality. The leaven is gone. The leaven is gone. So it's not like if you're wealthy and you're going to underwrite something or bankroll something in one capacity. Well, the leaven is gone. Now, if the leaven were not gone, it could be that, you know, you're going to give a thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, twenty, fifty thousand dollars, whatever. It could be that you're going to give an amount of money and the pastor is going to blow it on sex. The pastor is going to blow it on alcohol and sex capades and say, oh, yeah, we're going on a mission trip. And they go into the third world and they do a lot of sex in the third world. You see, it could be that that could happen, but that's among the le- that's when the leaven is inside the church. But when the leaven has been taken care of, because you have a pastor who's doing his job before the Lord, you have an elder who's doing his job before the Lord, his responsibility before the Lord, well, you don't have to think that way anymore. You're free to exercise these works of the Spirit, these giftings of the Spirit. You're free to exercise these things and how beautiful it is. Because you start to see the koinonia, the ecclesia. You see? Among the hagios, the saints of God. This is the abundance or the superabounding super abounding for every good work in verse 9. Now, I have to say this too. Many get the formula wrong. Many get the formula wrong because they're taught by hirelings. They're taught by hirelings. Pastors who say, oh, you go and give your tithes. Give your tithes. Give, up. give your wallet. Baby Christians, give your wallet. No. Baby Christians, give your heart. Mature Christians. See that you abound in this grace also of giving. You see? Turn with me really quick to John chapter 10. A little about the hireling. John chapter 10. Verse 12. John 10 verse 12, but the hire, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming. So danger is imminent. The wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. You see, he's a scaredy cat. Instead of killing the wolf, instead of confronting the wolf and killing the wolf, he runs the other way and he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf catches the sheep harpazo is the word here the wolf harpazo the sheep harpazo is to seize to catch to pluck to take by to take by force the same word for the rapture of the church there's an evil harpazo and there's a beautiful glorious harpazo it's to catch away you see understand that the wolf can harpazo as well the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them you see Translates as, uh, 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 lays them wastes. He wastes them. He says the hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. He cares about his own wallet. He's a hireling. He's a hireling. 
So now you have the defunct pastors who say, oh yeah, go ahead, tithe, do your offerings. Baby Christians, do your offerings. You have pastors who have their church membership, their membership application. Like five-page membership application. Do you commit to, how, where do you work? Who's your employer? Who's your boss? These are the applications. <clears throat> Who's your boss? <clears throat> how much, what's your annual salary? Do you commit to tithe? Ten, they have the, you know, yet little bubbles you circle. 10%, 20%, 30%. Do you, what amount do you commit to tithe? You see? Stupid hirelings. No, if you're a pastor, let the Holy Spirit establish your church membership. Let the Holy Spirit establish His membership. You see? You just teach. You teach. Be obedient to the Lord as He leads, as He guides. Don't be a hireling. You see? Because the wolf is coming. The wolf is here. The hirelings will run away when danger comes. The shepherds, they'll kill the wolf for the sake of the Sheep and the lambs. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In verse 9, as it is written, He has dispersed abroad, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. You see, now I have something to say to the mature. When you exercise generosity, you have to be wise. You have to be wise. And in so doing, you just might find a remnant. You see? It's so beautiful when we see. The Corinth is, this is the Corinthian church, but they're different. It's not the same. They're different. You see? There's something different about these Corinthians. You know what it is? Maturing in Christ. Growing in Christ. And so we see this in verse 10. Now may he who supplies, you know, the Lord is our provider. He's straight up Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. Old Testament and New Testament, Jehovah Jireh. Same. I never change, saith the Lord. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown, and as if that's not enough already, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. You see how beautiful this is? Because, so you have... The, the Macedonia and the, the Macedonian saints and the uh, Smyrna, very poor, but yet very rich. You see, remember our study in, in Numbers 31, uh, where uh, the, the greater spoils were upon the, the smaller 12,001? Greater spoils to the smaller remnant. You see, this is the... First Corinthians, when Paul says to the saints, your rejoicing isn't good, chapter 5, your rejoicing isn't good. But now look. Now look at the saints. Paul is boasting where he says, you know, do I in First Corinthians, do I praise you in this? I don't praise you in this. Do I praise you in that? I don't praise you in that. He says, is there not, a, not just one wise guy, not one wise man among you? Not, not even one? Corinth? But now look. Now Paul is boasting about Corinth because of their maturity. They're growing in Christ. Behold the hand of God. You see his handiwork in the lives of his people. You see? 
And he says this in verse 11, while you are enriched or made wealthy in everything for all liberality or generosity, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Now, imagine Paul's thanksgiving to God. Imagine Titus and Timothy, the, the, the holy bubble. Imagine their thanksgiving unto the Lord. You see, a pastor interceding for the church. You know, oh, you know, imagine Paul when he read Chloe's letter. Paul, we got a letter from Chloe's household. Read it. Let's hear it. All of a sudden, they start reading and they see the works of the flesh. Imagine their tears. Everybody in that holy bubble, imagine their tears. I can't believe this is happening in the church. Imagine their tears. Interceding. Praying. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit saying, Okay, Paul, write a letter to the Corinthian church, to the saints. Separation needs to happen. Just like Moses coming down. At, at the, uh, uh, he sees the golden calf, Moses and Joshua coming down the golden calf. And Moses just straight up lays it out. Okay. You, you go over here, but if you want to be with the Lord, you come over here. You stand next to me. You see separation. That's what you see. The Holy Spirit telling Paul, okay, Paul, right to the church in Corinth. Separation needs to happen. You see. And in obedience, separation does happen. And now when Paul and the holy bubble, when they pray to the Lord, it's not with tears of like angst. Like, I can't believe there's this works of the flesh in the fellowship. No, it's tears of joy. Thank you, Lord. Thanksgiving unto the Lord. You see? Sheep who are pleasing to the pastor. You see? Just like we looked at in Hebrews. I'll read it again. Hebrews 13, verse 17, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. And as those who must give an, give account, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. You see, 1 Corinthians, they were overseers. Paul, the bubble, they were overseers with grief. 2 Corinthians, still overseers with joy. You see? Different. The remnant, the remnant. And so we continue 2 Corinthians chapter 9 in closing. Verse uh, 12, verse 12. For the administration or the for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Now, plurality, many thanksgivings. You see here, the giver can give thanksgiving to God. The work that he's done in the life of the giver. The receiver, thanksgiving to God. The facilitator, thanksgiving to God. The teacher, thanksgiving to God. You see, the sweet aroma in the camp. And all glory goes to the Lord. You see his handiwork. Look at 1 Corinthians 5, the pain of 1 Corinthians 5, and look at this joy of 2 Corinthians 9, the thanksgiving to God. Look at what the Lord has done with the Corinthians. You see? Look at what the Lord is doing with you today. Look at the manifold thanksgiving that we can give to God as a people of the way. You see? The sweet aroma in the camp. He says this in verse 13. While through the proof of this ministry. See Corinth is 
defunct no more the proof of this ministry. Now they are partakers in this ministry. They glorify God. You see, God is glorified. 100% goes to the Lord that no flesh should glory in his presence. They glorify God for the obedience of your confession or translates as uh, of your promise as a covenant to the gospel of Christ. You see, it's the blessings of obedience. These are things that we're going to touch on hardcore in Deuteronomy. The blessings of obedience. And there are many avenues, so to speak, for God to receive glory. I meant the giver, thanksgiving to God, God is glorified. The receiver, thanksgiving to God, God is glorified. The facilitator, thanksgiving to God. And the teacher, thanksgiving to God. And all things, God is glorified. You see all these different avenues by which God can receive glory. You see how beautiful this is? Among the remnant. The leaven is gone. The leaven has been taken care of. You see? And when leaven is inside of a church, it's indicative of immaturity. Babies. Babies with arrested development under the tutelage of the defunct, they cannot move on to perfection because of the leaven. Because of the defunct pastors. But when you don't, when the leaven has been taken care of and you don't have a defunct pastor, do you see what can happen among the remnant? This beautiful, beautiful remnant. And so we see this. The, their obedience to the gospel, their obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. Now understand that these saints in different regions, they also, as they move on to maturity, they also have these other ministries. And understand that every ministry of the Lord must have the door and a means for equipping the saints. Otherwise, it's just humanitarian. That's all it is. It's a habitat for humanity. Instead of a ministry of the Lord. Every single ministry of the Lord must have a door. And I say door, speaking of Jesus Christ, capital D. I am the door, he says. I am the gate, he says. Every ministry must have the door and a means for equipping. Otherwise, it's habitat for humanity. You see? In verse 14, and by their prayer for you. You see? The body caring for the body. Now, we see the birth of ministries. It's not to say that 1 Corinthians chapter 3, they couldn't do ministry, just not yet. It's like telling, hey, baby girl, you can't be a doctor. Hey, baby girl, you can't be a construction worker. You know, you don't say that to baby girl because baby girl can certainly do those things. Just not yet because she's, you know, whatever age she is. Baby girl's just 10 years old. Baby girl's just seven years old. You can't, hey, baby girl, you can't be an astronaut, baby girl. You can't be a teacher, baby girl. You can't do, no. Baby girl can do those things. But just not yet because she needs to grow. And now you have the church, you know, they're partaking in these ministries and you start to see the building blocks for future ministries. Ministry is starting to, it's the birth of ministry. You see? And their prayer for you, he says, who long for you, who it's this intense craving for another. That's the body. The body takes care of the body. The body can hurt because of the body. But then the body is one, one body with many parts. 
intense craving for another? Have you ever felt that intense craving just to be with the brethren? Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. The long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You see what the Lord has done in Corinth? Look at the, look at all the, I mean, here we are in chapter 9, chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. But look at everything that we've studied and where we've come this far, just in Corinth alone. Look at Chloe, Chloe's household. You see how beautiful Chloe's house, a remnant within within a church that was in disarray, but yet you have this little remnant. And, you know, the Holy Spirit, Chloe, you got to write a letter to Paul. Okay, writes a letter to Paul, notifies. People say, oh, Chloe's gossiping. She's gossiping. That's not gossip. That's not gossip. So many times... Pastors, oh, you you don't want to gossip. Don't do it. Don't do this. They like to have these safeguards to protect them in their own state of carnality. Oh, make sure you're not gossiping. Make sure you're not gossiping. No, sometimes people need the tattletale. Chloe was alerting Paul. Paul, there's this problem in Corinth. And Paul cleaned the house. The defunct don't like the house to be clean because they're defunct. They like the mess. Because they can get away with their works of the flesh. You see? Oh, but we're all sinners saved by grace. Yes, absolutely true. We're all sinners saved by grace. But don't use that as a cop-out to excuse sin. Don't use that as a cop-out. Oh, this guy's having sex with, you know, this lady, this lady, this lady. He goes to the strip clubs. He does the drugs, the alcohol, the occult, all these different things. Oh, but we're all sinners saved by grace. It's a cop-out. It's true. We are sinners saved by grace. But don't use that. Don't ever use that as a cop-out to hide and skirt away from the fact that we need to be a repentant people. You see? Hearts consecrated unto the Lord. Consecrated. Set apart for the... Not set apart for sex. Not set apart for the drugs, the alcohol, the strip clubs, the pornography. Not hearts set apart for the occult for Buddha, for Mary. No, hearts set apart for Jesus Christ. You see? And you hear me say, you know, if you're a baby, keep your money. If you give grudgingly, keep your money. Absolutely. But let it be an indicator of your own heart. See that you abound in this grace. Also, remember our study from chapter 8. In chapter 8, verse 7, Paul says, see that you abound in this grace also. But there are some precursory verses or precursory statements words in second corinthians chapter 8 verse 7 he says but as you abound in everything in faith in speech in knowledge remember gifts of the spirit in all diligence and in love see that you abound in this grace also so if you give of your finances and you do it grudgingly don't give but let it be an indicator that you need to reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead, and move on to perfection. You need to mature, not just in this area, 
because we all are moving on to perfection. We all need to mature more and more and more in Christ. But that you can mature in faith and abound in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in diligence, and in love. And when you do those things sacrificially unto the Lord, forget the wallet. Don't present the Lord your wallet. Present the Lord your heart. And when you do these things, all of a sudden, you're going to be a cheerful giver. Five bucks. Here, here's your five bucks. A brother who's hard up for cash flow. Here, brother, here's 50 bucks. And you're not going to do it grudgingly. It's going to be sacrificially unto the Lord. Why? Because your, your heart was first offered to the Lord. And the Lord has done the work inside of you. Remember, in, then through. The Lord does the work inside of you. And then he does the work through you. You see? We see how beautiful this is. The manifold grace of God. And both leaven and babies cannot understand these things. So what's the solution? Repent. Repent. And let us be a people, a people of the way, together moving on to perfection. You see? We're going to end our study here and next week pick up in chapter 10 where we get on the topic of spiritual warfare. And in not just in chapter 10, but, you know, in chapter 11, it's more about spiritual warfare. For such a time as this, the Lord has us studying this topic of spiritual warfare. After we've moved on to perfection, understanding the risks of babiness. You see? To the beautiful people of the way, God bless you. I love you.